Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. <laughs> Let's just do this. Welcome, listeners. Welcome, welcome to the vocal book podcast stylings of Stace, <laughs> Christopher, and our great producer, Doug. We're here to smooth your day with some great book talking and an interesting conversation with a local east side yokel. On this edition, on this edition, on this very special edition very of the Oxygen <laughs> Star podcast. <laughs> and we are back in person, recording back in person, which is which why is, we're a little punchy Why today. we're so giddy. Yes, absolutely. It's so nice <laughs> to see you guys around the table again. Good it morning, is. Doug. Good morning. How are you doing? Like you guys, I'm ready for the end of the week. <laughs> well, and and I know that that that's very kind of you to say because you're probably really irritated with us right now because our behavior <laughs> this morning has not been up to standard. It's tolerable. <laughs> that's all we're asking for. It's tolerable. Oh, thank it's, you, it, Doug. I will say though, it is nice to be back at the table with you guys sitting upright, not hunching in a closet or right. you know elsewhere where you tend to remote podcast um, for almost two years. I so, know, isn't that crazy? Hey, listeners, we've got some books to talk about, Yay. right? And and this time we decided, you know, we're edging towards summer, right? And in fact. By the time this is released, you're on the other side of the world already. Yes, I know. So we thought, hey, wouldn't it be a great time to talk about books where, you know, travel or going somewhere or experiencing something different yes. is part of the story or part right. of the book. Yep. So that's our theme today. And, and Stace, I know you've read a couple of good ones. So well, why don't you kick it off? I, I took a very, I took this theme with a very broad lens. As we do. Yes. And so I... I read two books, and the first one is called Rich People's Problems. It's by Kevin Kwan. So a lot of our listeners might be familiar. This is the same gentleman who wrote Crazy Rich Asians and China Girlfriend, Rich mm, China Girlfriend. Rich China Girlfriend. And um, Crazy Rich Asians, of course, was made into a very popular movie. And he is he is a master author of writing about not only the Asian culture, but the the very ele- most elevated of mm-hmm. of Asian culture, you know, these people that are so extraordinarily wealthy right. that it's almost inconceivable to somebody like me. The one percent of the one percent. Yeah, they really they really are, right? And so um the reason I, I chose this book because is because every single chapter takes place in a different exotic location. Some of these places I had never even heard of before. I had to look them up and see <laughs> where where is this? Some of them I don't even know if they even actually exist, but But you were jonesing to be somewhere else. I, I was. Well I had to get into this headspace of being on vacation in a in an exotic place myself. <laughs> so I thought, you know, well, why not just kind of put me in that mindset? But um, so that's how I, I interpreted travel <laughs> into this book. It's, I know listeners, 
It's a stretch. I know. Don't uh, hate don't me. No hate. If on you're going to travel, go with the one percent. Right. So all of the fa- all of the characters that you know and love from Crazy Rich Asians are back again in rich girl problems, uh, rich people's problems, and the book pretty much deals with the. Um, the grandmother, uh, Nick's Ama, who, you know, had a big role in Crazy Rich right. Asians and, right. you know, is a very huge presence in her children's lives. Um, she is she is taken ill and she is on her deathbed. And right. so all of the children and the grandchildren are kind of jockeying around to see, well, who's going to be in her will and what's going to happen and... She and Nikki, who was her favorite grandson, they have had a falling out and Rachel makes a, an appearance as well. And it was just a fun, really fun read. And to read about these locations that they were all in and the amazing things that the the 1% of the 1% get to do is just it's just incredible. It's fascinating. Well, it's also a guilty pleasure read, right? Yeah, we absolutely. Were, we were talking about this. Like there, there. He's syncing up with a genre that's actually been around a while. You know, mm-hmm. there was Sidney Sheldon right? and Jackie Collins yep. and Daniel. I mean, these people who write the fantasy lifestyle that mm-hmm. so many of us love. Absolutely. To dive into every once in a while because otherwise we'd never experience it ourselves. Exactly, and it is it is fun to read and can try to imagine what. It would be like to be on a private jet and, you know, two hours into your flight say, oh, no, wait, I changed my mind. I want to go to this place. And you tell the pilot and the pilot turns the plane around and off you go. Or to be in a designer's, you know, very exclusive shop and, you know, have clothes made for you that are one of a kind and, you know, all the all the the crazy things that they do. Um, it's just, it was just a lot of fun. And, you know, we also were chatting about how you have to be a special kind of writer to pull this off, right? Absolutely. It's not like anyone can just do this. And that you're so right because he could eat, this could easily veer into camp. Right. And, and, and just satire and, just kind of be real snarky, you know, yeah. and he doesn't go there. You know, he still makes you, you, you're not like jealous of these people. You like these people right. and well, most of them, some of them, you're just like, oh my God, <laughs> I have, a, be there I have a cousin like that, yeah, you know? Exactly, exactly. So he, he makes them relatable enough, um, you know, that, that you can, you, that you are able to imagine what you would do or you what it would be like for you if you were in a situation to have all of that access i guess yeah is the word you know what i like about and this is a constant theme through his books um is that he writes character very well and he likes uh he likes that kind of social interplay between people that is the bread and butter of these stories, like mm-hmm. that tension and um, how money affects things and how yes. convention affects things. And one of his more recent books, Sex and Vanity, mm-hmm. which is a part of this series, right. um, is actually a retelling of E.M. Forster's A Room with a View, which was mm-hmm. 
you know, a book from a hundred years ago. Right. And it's about an English young English girl being escorted down to Italy for a summer and like all the stuff that an English girl could get into in Italy because the weather's right. warm, right? Yeah. Um, and so he basically rewrote that book um, with Asian it's characters Asian perspective. and, you know, mm-hmm. and what have you. And it was also very successful. And I think that's just kind of, he's very creative that way. Yeah. Like trying to take these conventional characters and, and twist them or put them in places where they're going to yeah. You're experience things that make them uncomfortable or Definitely. push a story along or and, something. And I did see an interview with him and he doesn't take himself too seriously. You know, he's he's acquired all this fame and, right. you know, but he still has a real grounded sensibility about himself. And he is funny. Yeah. He could be like a stand-up comedian. He's <laughs> re- really funny. In the interview that I saw with him, he happened to be talking about how the producers, when they made the Crazy Rich Asians movie, wanted him to make sure that they cast like hunky Asian guys mm-hmm. that would could walk around without their shirts on and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And he... He wasn't too into that at first, but he finally gave in. (laughs) We're all happy about that. But um, so that was rich people's problems. Was the first um, the first book that I read, and then the next one is an old book. This was published in 1990. It was actually a self-published book first, Mm. and then it went mainstream. And it's called "The Mutant Message Down Under." It's by Marlo Morgan. And interestingly enough, this book actually started out as a sales brochure. You're kidding. (laughs) I kid you not. And she was writing this sales brochure to sell tea tree oil. Okay. (laughs) And then she ended up expanding on this. And so what it is, is is a fictionalized account of a woman from the Midwest who goes to Australia and gets kind of swooped up by an Aboriginal tribe mm-hmm. to go on a walkabout. Okay. And if cool. you know, so the Aboriginal people, they go on these walkabouts into the heart of Australia where there's nothing there except die, dry, arid desert. And they go on these walkabouts for months at right. a time. Right. And so this is the story of her adventure with them. And of course she starts out, she gets, she thinks she's going to give a talk or be presented an award by Mm -hmm. this group because of a a book she had written. Mm -hmm. And it ends up, she's going, they take her with her on the walkabout. So they make her take off all of her clothes and put on this tribal Mm -hmm. garment and walk with bare feet and the high draught you know, hot, dry desert. And she's like, well, wait, what about my life? What about this? And they're like, oh no, don't worry. It's all taken care of. And there's only one person in this group that speaks English. Oh, wow. And so, you know, every day she kind of learns something new about herself. She finds a greater inner strength. And, you know, I love this book. I've read it several times and, you know, over the years, just because I enjoy reading about her journey, mm-hmm. and that was how I interpreted this. Yeah, is of travel course. is a journey. So, um, but when I went to do the research, you know, to for today for our conversation about this, I found out that not only were the Aborigines really angry about this book and oh, like wow. demanded uh, when when it became famous, mm-hmm, when she mm-hmm. started making millions of dollars, mm-hmm. they were really mad about this and demanded that she apologize for the book. There are people that say 
that, you know, her writing is terrible and mm. it was a hor- horribly written book. And I mean, I, I got the feeling that you either love this book or you hate this book. Interesting. And I just think, you know, at a very basic level, it's just an interesting read about a person who's going through a journey and don't put too much into it, you know, just kind of take it for what it is. Her personal experience. Yeah. 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 And it's fiction. Yeah. So, I mean, it's clear. This is a fictional, this didn't really happen. It's a fictionalized story. And um, I think there's some fun to be had in reading it. It's interesting. There's a couple of things there. First question I, is, how did you find out about this book? It started out as a sales brochure. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know, I, I was right? Like trying to think, where did Stacy find out about this book? So I, I was trying to remember, like, who gave it to me. And I, so when I was a classroom teacher in Temecula back in the '90s, mm-hmm. um, there, one of my really good teaching friends, she was in a book club. I never got invited. but but she would tell me because she knew i'd love to read she would tell me the books they were reading and i'm pretty sure she gave me this this book so and it was probably in the mid 90s and it had been you know widely published by then and i've recommended it to other people you know since that time and um yeah so it kind of came through that channel it's also interesting um that, you know, I think just the world today, and we talked about this in the mm-hmm. last episode with the 90s, with yeah. social media and other ways for people to make their opinions and their voices known more easily. It's um, more prevalent, I think, for people who might see something different and want to say, like, look, I have a problem with this book. Right. Because um, this isn't the only author that this happens with, right? I mean, Absolutely. There, there are major authors out there um, that have dealt with, that are, you know, kind of being questioned right now. There are, are books that are being right. questioned. And and it's actually a, probably a common thing in publishing nowadays, uh, at least regular publishing, when you're writing about something like this to employ a sensitivity reader as part of the editing process. So right. it kind of helps address some of these issues. But even then, you, you're still you, going to get people Exactly. Who, yeah. And sometimes you don't, you know, you miss the mark when yeah. you're trying to do that too. But, you know, I think it was, it was just interesting. And I don't doubt that the some of the things that you know she shares like about how every morning the the group of them get up and they give thanks mm-hmm. you know for for the day for what they have mm-hmm. and you know she shares about you know how they as they're going on their journey they don't always eat you know right. they eat what is presented to them and they find ways to make meals out of whatever they have mm-hmm. and and I don't doubt that that's not the case yeah, you know yeah, I don't yeah. I don't doubt that there was no re- you know I think she did her research to make this book right, real right, right um but I I just I and I and to your point too I know I noted the the comments the negative more negative kinds of comments all came in the 2000s, you know, yeah. like much later, later after this had been out there. And it's kind of like, you know, this was really enjoyed by a lot of people. And, you know, is it's there, a, it, can you only challenge it and say negative things? You know, I, I think there's some some positives in there. So, you know, listeners, you might want to pick it up and give it a shot. And, um, you know, if you agree with me, great. You might love it. You might hate it. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't. I I think I'm a pretty critical reader, and mm-hmm. I didn't 
I didn't think the writing was bad in any way. <laughs> I thought, you know, it was very readable. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I mean, that's just an issue that a lot of quote unquote core books or canon books are mm-hmm. going through right now, right? Right. Because reading them from a 21st century lens is, you have to have a caveat going into the process. Right? Yes, absolutely. So what about you, Christopher? Well, I chose a um, very different book. I only chose one book. Um, and it's nonfiction. It's kind of a memoir. It's called Skyfaring, A Journey with a Pilot by Mark Van Hunneker. It came out in 2016. Um, you know, and I I heard about it because his next book, which is called Imagine a City, A Pilot's View of the World, is coming out in July of this year. And it was on the Washington Post Best Travel Um, Books of this year. And I was like, well, the podcast will be done by the time that book comes (laughs) out. I'll read his previous book. And I had not heard of this guy before. He is an airline pilot. He flies for... British Airways, okay. he flies 787, so these big, big giant planes, big planes taking people like you yeah. to other sides of the world. Um, that's his job. And he he didn't come at it. He's something he always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. There's always this romance in him, as a, even as a kid, yeah. about airports and flying big planes. But he's, you know, like many people, did the sensible stuff first and went towards the corporate world and academia for a while before he finally just had this, you know, you only live once kind Uh of epiphany Epiphany. and he in his late 20s decided he's going to chuck it all and go become a commercial airline pilot and spent many years doing that and now that's what he does and he writes really really well about it he Mm -hmm. writes for magazines and newspapers too so i think that's where he's kind of honed his craft um and what drew me to this book is that i love plane travel um you know i don't necessarily like the process of getting to the airport on time and get, taking your shoes off for security right or, and when i did a lot of business travel earlier in my career i didn't like staying at like you know business hotels right. off the interstate that kind of stuff yeah but i love being in airports me too yeah right yes. it's awesome because um, there's there's the people watching yes yeah these people are coming from all corners of the world even in small airports and then sometimes, you know, depending on where you are, the airport itself is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you're kind of just relaxing. And to me, once I get to an airport and I've gone through security, I just relax into the process. Right. 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 I'm under someone else's control until yeah. I arrive at my yeah, destination. Yeah, there's, there's nothing else you can do. You're there and, yeah, depending you're at on, the mercy of others. Right. Um you know, so have a beer or yeah. have a pastry, depending yep. on the time of the day, and <laughs> watch people. It's kind of a romantic thing, yeah. you know, to me. I still like that. And I still like the notion of starting off in one place and ending up in some place that's so completely different. Yeah. Like, oh, it's like the anticipation of what's that going to be like. Totally. Um, especially if it's very far away. And he talks about all this kind of stuff. Like, this is what drew him to it. Like, when he was 13, he remembers going with his father. They lived in Massachusetts and driving, getting up early one morning and driving down to Boston to meet a cousin who was flying in from Saudi Arabia. And yeah. how, as a 13-year-old, watching these planes come up to the gate, because you could still do that right, back then. Right, right. Um, and it occurred to him that for the first time that, you know, while I was sleeping and got up and brushing my teeth and eating breakfast and driving down here... You know, my cousin was in a plane over the Atlantic, you know, right. and it's and, and now we're converging. And when that plane opens, the door opens, a little bit of Saudi Arabia's air is going to escape into Boston. You know, it's like, <laughs> so he was already forming this kind of romantic notion mm-hmm. of what it meant to, to travel. Um, and he talks about how when he became a pilot, he purposely wanted to do long haul flights because short haul flights, you know, it's kind of like business trips. Right. And you don't, the, 
the countries, the cultures aren't so different. But yeah. a long haul flight, if you're going from England to Hong Kong, it's very different when you step off the plane. Right. And he likes that kind of that kind of thing. He also loves just the people watching aspect of it mm-hmm. and being in in airports and train stations often when he has a layover before flying back he'll go into the city or the town and find the train station yeah because he he's like I love looking at the board of cities where the trains are going and imagining where people are coming from it's kind of like this sense of in betweenness is how he phrases it and it's kind of similar to that idea of being in the airport, right? right? You know, seeing the people coming and going and, oh, where are they going? And, oh, they yeah. have that luggage? Oh. <laughs> you know. Or, you know, you know the people who are, you know, you remember this. You grew up in Chicago. Yep. If you're at O'Hare or Midway and it's January, but you see that flight to Puerto Rico or wherever yes. and the people have got their shorts on. Oh, I yeah. Mean, you, know, you know they're going somewhere right. completely different. Um, and it's also, to me, it's also fun to watch people who are coming into the airport after a long mm-hmm. flight and they just come off their plane completely exhausted right. and tired. And yeah. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Maybe you've had a few too many drinks. And, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But so he talks about this process and he talks also about flying the plane, mm-hmm. what it's like, you know, all the mechanics and physics that make a plane work, but kind of in a lyrical, poetic kind of sense. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't go into science. This is not a science book. He, this is about like, what does he feel as a person and as a pilot? And you're up there in the sky and you're on a long haul flight for 14 hours, you got a lot of time to stare at the earth. Sure. And what goes through your mind, you know? And all of this comes out on the page and it really just surprisingly wraps you in, you know? He keeps enough of little tidbits of details mm-hmm. to keep it interesting. Like he describes turbulence, he describes how a plane works, he describes, you know, in a 747, you may not see the captain because they have the bunk right in there, right in there you know, cockpit, you know, whereas in a smaller plane, right. you might see the, you might see the captains. Just, all that kind of stuff is interesting. But he also talks about like, you know, it occurs to you that uh, most of the earth is uninhabited when you're flying above right. it. And, and he, the way he phrases it is really interesting. He's like, where is it? Um, like only 15% of the earth's surface is habitable by a naked person for more than 24 hours, meaning it's wow. either really hot yeah, or, or really, really cold. cold. Or it's the ocean. So it's like, you know, it's, it, these are the things that would occur to a pilot. Right, <laughs> stuck right. Stuck up there. Well, because you can see yeah. all of it, right? And your mind is just going yeah. to places as you're, you know, you're still flying the plane. Does he, does he do this? Is it, does it read in a, in a more fictional kind of way? Or is it, is it a true, you know, nonfiction it's true nonfiction, but a lot of it is really introspective. Like okay. he talks yeah. about like, you know, he's based in London and sometimes you'll have an out and back to Africa that day. Mm-hmm. And wow. he'll be like, you know what? I'm meeting up with friends on the South Bank for cocktails tonight. You know, I'll be home. Right. And then when you get there, it's like you're in your mind, you're like, you know, I'm the only one sitting at this table who can say I've been to a completely different continent today. Today, you right. Know, it's yeah. Like, and so that's that so kind that's of introspective incredible. stuff. Um, he also talks just things that we wouldn't think about. When you're a pilot, you have to be ready to go at a moment's notice. And because he can go anywhere, he has a go bag that is packed with both a winter jacket and swimming trunks. Like, wow. And you're like, well, what kind of lifestyle would that Yeah. You know, what would, how would I react to that? Like, you know, that's, you'd be called to go anywhere in 24 hours. That would be, I think, totally incredible. <laughs> but, you know, I, I had a friend who... Um, her husband was a pilot and he only flew, he flew from LA to Sydney mm-hmm. and Sydney to LA. Mm-hmm. And that was what he did. And so like he was, he would work for four days right. and then he'd be off, you know, he'd 
do the flight. Right. They have to be grounded for so many hours. And then he'd fly back and then he'd be home with her, my friend and her yeah. kids, you know, their kids for like four days and right. then he'd do it again. Yeah. And it seemed like such a, that was so awesome, you know, it was, but he had a, that regular it's a route. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Something you, could, you could build a family around and build, right. you know, all those home obligations. Around. Yeah. He does talk about how that can be a challenge, but that's another reason he likes the long hauls is because you have to be out of the air for right. so long that you can actually explore the city or explore the area yeah. a little bit. Um, and he also talks about how many pilots and him included will often not adjust, try to adjust to the new time when they arrive oh, in Singapore or Hong uh-huh. Kong or Australia because they have to go back so soon. Mm. If they did it every time, right. it would be really, really, it would Stressful mess them up. Stressful on your body. And so he's, he, he phrases it as, instead of jet lag, he phrases it as place lag. Like a lot mm. of pilots and airline staff have this, um, like, where am I today mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's right. not really time related. It's more place, place. related. Yeah. You know, what are the languages on the signs? What are the, you know, right. I'm waking up in a hotel room. Where am I? You know, right. it's, and that is just the way he describes it. It's just so fascinating because he brings you into that. And then, you know, he actually makes it, makes it really interesting. He actually phrases it as, um, you know, he sees more people in a day than his ancestors probably saw in their entire lifetime. That's so crazy. And that, you know, A century ago, it would take you weeks or months to get to some of these places that you can now go in less than 24 hours. And so we're asking our 21st century brains to catch up really quickly, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to going through a process of moving from what you know to something more exotic, which is, you know, probably why people like seeing all the chain stores when they land at an airport on the other side of the planet. Oh, there's a Starbucks. Yeah. You know, and... So that that there's it's, just all these kind of interesting things that come out. It's it's you make such a good point because I just you know a few episodes ago we talked about books that were written, you know, back in the 20th century, mm-hmm. and you know I had read this book called The Dream Merchants, yeah. and and it, that took place in like the 20s, and they didn't have a way to get from New York to L.A. You mm-hmm. know they had to take a train or. A coast stage coach, whatever they did. And that was so hard for me to wrap my mind around that, oh, yeah, that's right. They can't just get on a plane and be there in three hours or five hours, whatever it takes. And, you know, I, I think you, you make a really good point that, that airline travel has kind of transformed the world it's made it's it's one of those things that's helped make the world smaller does yeah. that make sense it, it, it absolutely does and he goes into a little bit of that that mm-hmm. in this book the other thing that i'll just say really briefly which is kind of different um that often goes through my mind as well, which I loved about seeing it in print because it was going through his mind is like, you know, I spend like three or four hours in an airport on a layover or whatever. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go back home tonight. I'll be sleeping in my own bed or I'll be sleeping in a hotel bed somewhere exotic. But these airline workers, you know, they're having this exotic thing, but they're going home to their own lives. This is their daily life. right? Right. And so when I'm wake up in Singapore, they're, still having their own. It's just really yeah. weird. We're all part of the same experience in some way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's and it. I totally, that's makes a lot of sense because I know whenever I'm in a, in LA or, you know, and I tend to stay near the airport cause I'm going to be traveling. So right. I'm in LA cause I'm going to fly out of LAX and you see all the people 
the stewardess, or I'm sorry, the flight attendants mm -hmm. and the pilots, the getting off their, their shuttle bus and, mm -hmm. and, you know, it just always makes me think, oh, wow, the, you know, those people just going one hotel to, you know, what, <laughs> what that must be like. Right. But, um, yeah, no, it's, I think it's really cool. It's a good book. It's a surprisingly good book. And it's a surprisingly good book in the sense that it will draw you in, especially if you're at all someone who likes to travel. Yeah. Um, because it's not just about planes. It's not just about travel for travel's sake. It's about experience and what is going through his mind and why he still loves it so much. And it is clear that as a pilot, he's very observant. He, he reads a lot. He quotes a lot of people in this book, you know, literature yeah. like T.S. Eliot mm -hmm. and others. Um, and he likes to conjecture, like, what, what are these people experiencing? Like, he's flying over a city and he describes in beautiful detail flying at night over um, Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Lebanon and seeing the lights blend and, you know, yeah. how you see this arc of history. And, well, what are those people down in those cities doing right now? And I do. I always would do some wills who will be on in just a second. Mm -hmm. um, it, the, just cringed whenever I would say this. But you know, <laughs> landing in New York City on a clear day, you you fly over Manhattan, you fly right. over the city as you land. And I would always look down because it looks like a model city yeah. from that point, and think, you know, there's people in all of the skyscrapers. And at any point in time, some of them are in the staff room or in the bathroom and they're running the sink or flushing the toilet. So how much water is moving up and down in all these skyscrapers? <laughs> and, you know, that would always go through my mind. And Wills would be like, don't say that out loud. And, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that this guy is thinking. is like, what is going on? Yeah. What is the granular level of what I'm right. seeing as I fly over it? Which is, I would just say it's, it's I'm probably not doing this book justice because I'm all over the place, but skyfaring... Um, a pilot's a journey with a pilot is a is a really good book. It's brief. It's easy. We're getting a copy in at the library. We're Great. also getting his newest book out, which is Imagine a City, which was probably him talking about the cities he flies over. Well, you've so. sold me because I I really want to read this book now, and I know my husband who has his pilot's license and would would have loved to have been a a, a big time airline pilot. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm definitely going to give it to him to well, read I, as well. I think Joe would like it. Yeah. He does talk about when he gets his first pilot license as a teenager and mm -hmm. learning about beacons and mm -hmm. learning about how to fly without aid of instrument and all this yep. kind of stuff that, you know, Joe would relate to. I think a lot of people would relate. He, to well. he would love, he would really like to read this. Yeah. I know he would. And, um, listeners, you might be interested in reading it too. So check it out and let us know what you think. And we remember we also talked about Rich People's Problems by Kevin Kwan and Mutant Message Down Under by Marla Morgan. Let us know what you think about those titles. Sit tight and we'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners, to the conversation portion of the podcast where we bring in a unique person from somewhere in the east side, the eastern Sierra, to tell us and tell you about what they do and why they're here and, of course, what they're reading because it all comes down to books, right, Stace? Absolutely. So today we are super excited to have with us Wills Kane. Hi, Wills. Hello. 
Thanks for being here. <laughs> thank you for having me. And thank you for getting my name correct. <laughs> Caveat listeners, uh, Wills is my husband. So um, we will try not to talk in code in front of all of you. But the reason we invited Wills here today is there is a new organization in the Eastern Sierra called Eastern Sierra Pride. And so we'll get to that in a few seconds. But let's first start off with the origin story question. Wills, can you tell us about where you're from and how you ended up here of all places? Sure. So I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, about 45 minutes northeast of Philadelphia. And um, I uh, went from there to about a decade living in uh, New Jersey in a quaint little artistic community on the Delaware River. Um, and that is where I happened to meet a gentleman named Christopher Platt. <laughs> um, we lived together there for uh, two years before before uh, taking the great adventure to move to New York City, where we spent 13 years and uh, were fortunate enough to be able to buy a, a great little weekend house up in the Catskills, where we discovered that uh, we had an immense love for the mountains and nature and were ready to flee the city. And um, then anybody that knows Christopher's story of how he came back to the Eastern Sierra, well, I was right next to him. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, him coming to take the position that he has as uh, uh, director of the library for Mono County. And um, and yeah, so here we are. We uh, took the big leap and we were living in, the, as Christopher says, the the real mountains. Um, and, uh, so what's so, that like for you from growing up from the East coast where there are mountains, but you know, to us, they're, they're more like hills. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's a, it's a big difference coming from the Eastern, the Northeast area of the United States where it's just intense humidity. There's really drastic four seasons. Um, so it's really fun to move, uh, to Bishop to experience the high desert for the first time in my life. Uh, living at elevation, I'm a mm -hmm. runner, so it was very humbling to be uh, going from a marathon runner to not even be able to do a morning four miles without losing my breath. Um, and uh, the first couple of months, just watching my entire uh, skin crack and peel, I felt like a lizard when I moved here. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's been really event, uh, a great adventure. The uh, natural elements out here, the mountains, um, the canyons, they're just amazing. Um, I remember one day we uh, hiked up to Bishop Pass and we had peanut butter and jelly at 11,000 feet and we just looked at each other like, did you ever think we would do this? Um, so yeah, it's been amazing. I, I wonder, so I came from the Midwest too, from Chicago, mm -hmm. and I wonder if you experience a, the cold here is different than the cold, like the winter cold is different than here than it is back in the Midwest. I wonder if you experience that too. Yeah. If, uh, well, my the biggest thing I tell people is that our, our neighbors are from uh, Orange County. Mm -hmm. So the first winter that we were here, they're like, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, uh, I haven't even worn a jacket yet. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's, it's a dry cold. It's, it's a, a dry, dry cold. cold. And it's now I understand what a dry heat is. And um, the biggest, the other big difference here is that I don't know if it's just because we're closer to the sun but the heat from the sun is nothing I've ever experienced before. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it feels like it goes right through your skin. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, for sure. Have to always carry the sunscreen around. You do. Here, yeah. Right? Especially when you're hiking because you just get closer. And always reapply. And always reapply. <laughs> <laughs> what about the people, Wills? You grew up on the East Coast where, you know, there's kind of a certain kind of stereotypical personality. And then California has its own. What, do you, what is your reaction? Uh, my reaction is that I 
I was just realizing earlier this week um, that I now reply to people <laughs> by saying sweet all the time. <laughs> I don't remember doing that before. <laughs> um, but no, everybody out here is just so nice. Um, I, I really can't get over it. It's especially moving here directly from New York City where everybody's always in a rush and everybody has their own thing that they're they're focused on. And here everybody does really stop to, um, to chat and just be like, oh, you know, how's your day going? And it's And they really mean it, which is yeah. interesting. Uh, no, it's just people are amazing. <laughs> and and uh, without giving anything away, we, you've already learned the back ways to drive around to avoid the rush hour on Main Street, you know, yes, as opposed to New York rush hour where you could walk faster than the cars. You exactly. Know? Yes. But it is nice to be able to walk on the sidewalks again rather than the gutter. This is true. <laughs> this is true. The gutter? You walked in the gutter. I could walk faster. Oh, yeah, because yeah. the, the yeah. people on the sidewalk. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, that New York rule, which every New Yorker knows, which is to stay to the right, but New York is full of tourists who don't understand that. So <laughs> at any rate, uh, so Will's, uh, before getting to Eastern Sierra Pride, you've done a number of things since you came out. You jumped in headfirst to meet people and do things and what have you. Can you tell us, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to for the last few years? Sure. So my career, I have um, just about 30 years experience of working in the corporate world in marketing and communications. And um, I was trying to uh, stay with my last employer and work remotely when we moved out here. But unfortunately, that was not a possibility. So I came out unemployed. And um, it was right before the holidays, so I took a couple months to just, like settle in. And um, when I did start looking for a remote corporate job again, I decided that maybe this would be the perfect opportunity to make a big life change. And um, I have never actually worked with the local community, and um, it's something that I've always wanted to do because I always felt very disconnected of working with people. I mean, it was a great experience working with people in different countries, mm -hmm. um, but to I really didn't know anybody that lived in the neighborhood. Right. So um, uh, I reached out. I started. I, I'm a huge animal lover. Uh, so I reached out to, uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to be the shelter down in Big Pine or I then discovered um, Wild Care Eastern Sierra. And I thought, wow, I could work in a rehab with wild animals. That would be amazing. Um, so I did that for a summer and then found out that they needed help with communication. So I still do that on a volunteer basis for them. Um, and then I started working for Eastern Sierra Interpretive Association once I realized that a, a lot of the opportunities that you find out here are by getting your foot in the door any way that you can mm, right. and then just mm -hmm. um, seeing what uh, other opportunities are available. So I started working at the ranger station down at the Devil's Post Pile, which was amazing at the bookstore. Mm -hmm. And then I did some time at the Welcome Center here in Mammoth and then also up at um, the Bristle Cones in the White Mountains. So what was the most fun part of doing that? Um, the most fun part was when I was actually working at all three centers, uh, through the week and I would be up in the bristle cones and meet, uh, you know, just, mm -hmm. I love to talk to people. So I would yeah. just be like joking with people and, and clowning around. And then the next day they would see me down at the post pile and be like, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you have a twin? Did I just see you yesterday? So, um, that was lots of fun. And then of course my lunch breaks, being able to do the loop around the post mm -hmm. pile or being able to go out and just sit under one of those bristle cones and mm -hmm. eat my PB and J. It was yeah. pretty awesome. Um, but that led to a communications manager job, uh, which was at the time the most fulfilling job that I had ever had. Um, we did lots of working with the local elementary schools and middle schools and really just teaching kids in the area how to be uh, a naturalist right. and how to appreciate the, the surroundings and how to just be a good steward. And um, then unfortunately COVID came right. and the entire team was laid off. And uh, during that time, 
Um, I had somebody reach out to me and say that the Inyo County elections was looking for some help ahead of the presidential, the 2020 presidential election. And, um, uh, honestly, I was, I thought, you know, this would be a great experience because I was embarrassed to say that I didn't really understand how elections were, mm-hmm. uh, like the full process behind yeah. the scenes. I thought that would be a great opportunity to learn because I, I love to constantly learn new things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I joined that and when they found out that I had communications background, that turned into a communications role, um, Pretty much on a daily basis, we would get to work and debrief on all the mis and misinformation and disinformation that was happening, and then just set the record straight. So that was so rewarding right. um, and just really, really interesting. Um, and then to see how, yeah, each all the ballots coming through and right. making sure that nobody's casting double ballots and just it's an amazing process. Um, we got to record everything back to the state, mm-hmm. and um, great, great experience. And then um, I left there, and I've been working at the bookie joint um, for a couple uh, since at the end of last summer. Um, I'm a huge book person, um, as Christopher is. Yes, and uh, it's always kind of been in the back of our minds that maybe in retirement we would own our own bookstore. And so I thought this was again a great learning opportunity mm-hmm. to figure out the ins and outs of how to run a bookstore, um, which has been amazing. And then I also did have a stint. Um, I had a six month contract with the local Sierra Club group here, which is called Range of Light Group, and I was doing communications for them, um, battling some uh, organizations that were trying to come in to um, uh, mine for gold, and um, they were talking about open uh, pits, and uh, so just lots of battling that to um, not only keep the beautiful natural landscape that we have, but to make sure that uh, the wildlife is is undisturbed Mm -hmm. and and, um, uh, able to thrive. So the running joke in our house is that Wills in three years has met more people in Mono and Inyo and knows more people than I do. Well, and we've benefited, the podcast has benefited from all the people Wills knows because <laughs> a lot of our guests have been at his suggestions. So right. thank you. Oh, sure. That's funny. <laughs> and it is also funny that I think since we've moved here, I've worked for more organizations than I did in the 30 years that I was in the corporate world. <laughs> it's not an uncommon thing on this not side. Yeah, right. but I, I think it, that's what makes living here a special opportunities that yep. whatever you want to get involved in, you have the opportunity to do so and people will welcome you with open arms. And absolutely. I think that's really a nice feature. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your newest venture, what your role is, what the organization is and what it's up to. Sure. So there is a new nonprofit that's called Eastern Sierra Pride. It was organized uh, last October and um, we really um, started coming out into the public space, I would say, uh, towards the, the beginning of April, maybe end of March. Um, and uh, I could actually read you the mission statement of the organization. Yeah, yeah. Should we do that? Um, it is our mission to cultivate an Eastern Sierra where LGBTQIA2SP plus people are celebrated, embraced, and supported. And I'll take a moment to explain what that acronym is for people that don't know. LGBTQIA2SP plus is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer or questioning, intersex, asexual, two-spirit, and pansexual. Um, So to continue with the mission statement, we will work to ensure that our LGBTQIA2SP plus community is treated with dignity and respect and has equal access to employment, housing, and all services needed to live a safe, healthy, and meaningful life in all our local settings, including business, cultural, educational, faith-based, recreational, and other. 
So it's the first organization of its kind for the Eastern Sierra. And um, immediately we have been trying to build a sense of community, which we found out straight away um, that people were just craving. Um, and they're just the people in our community are thrilled. Um, the biggest thing that we are hearing from the community itself is I had no idea there were so many of us here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the support from just all of the allies and allies is a term that's thrown around in mm-hmm. our community a lot. And that means people that aren't actually a member of the community. Um, they, you know, just like somebody like Stacy, who is mm-hmm. a straight woman, um, who would be thrilled to stand beside us and fight for our fight. Absolutely. So, um, there's lots of allies that have come out and are fully supportive and, um, um, just so happy to see this happening. And so we are moving forward with our first Pride Festival. Uh, by the time this airs, it will have just happened, uh, June 4th and 5th at the Tri-County Fairgrounds down nice. in Bishop. Um, and we have worked, uh, we had a huge letter writing campaign and we went down to Independence uh, for the Inyo County Board of Supervisors meeting. There was a proclamation that was pushed forward by Inyo County Health and Human Services and by our organization mm-hmm. uh, together for uh, asking the Board of Supervisors to declare uh, June Pride Month, uh, June 2022 mm-hmm. Pride Month um, for the first time. And uh, and it passed with a vote of Yay. three votes. Yes, that was fantastic. It was amazing. It was three hours of uh, open comments, and um, wow, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it passed, and we were, there was a lot of very happy people. Um, so we are uh, we are able to launch our first Pride Festival, which is the first of its kind here in the Eastern Sierra during um, Inyo County recognizing June as Pride Month and. I think the day that this airs is going to be when Mono County uh, Board of Supervisors is voting the same to declare uh, June Pride Month for right. Mono County. Yeah. Um, and, and so we have, we, I know we've had Elevation Month here, mm-hmm. Elevation, Elevation Week, week yep. here, but that's in April. I think so, yeah. So is that going to be moved to, to June as part of a, you know, a bigger effort? Um, that's a good question. So one of the things that we're trying to do right now is kind of, uh, it, there's a lot of things that happen within our community that are kind of happening in different pockets. Mm-hmm. And we're finding that we might be able to be the bridge to bring people together and just have a more coordinated effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of fluid. It's okay. happening right now. Um, but yeah, Elevation Week, for those that don't know, is here in Mammoth. Yeah. And it's for the LGBTQ uh, plus community uh, ski, uh, ski week. Yeah. Um, and uh, so through, that's a great segue. Thank it's you, Stace. It's a very popular week. <laughs> it, is. it is a very popular yeah. week, yes. Um, so we have been reaching out. Uh, there is a lot of stuff that's happening here in Mono County through Mono County Behavioral Health. Yep. They have a couple of great programs. Uh, one is the second Tuesday of every month is a LGBTQ plus potluck. The third Wednesday is a family and friends of LGBTQ plus youth meetup. And they both happen in the Mona County Behavioral Health Wellness Center here in Mammoth. Um, and so we are trying to at least have a presence there and we're cross um, uh, communicating, you know, um, uh, making sure that everybody knows on, on our website that those exist and we're prom- promoting it through all, all of our channels. Um, and then the week, um, the weekend after this airs, June 12th, is going to be the Mona County Pride Barbecue. Uh, at Shady Rest Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's put on by Mono County Behavioral Health. And then um, they're working along, I think, with uh, Mono Arts Council 
to put on a drag show at the public house on June 25th. Um, so there's lots of stuff coming up, uh, right here at Mammoth. And, um, we've also, we've been doing a lot of tabling just to make, Mm -hmm. uh, just for awareness to make people know that we exist, uh, especially ahead of the pride festival. And we've had a lot of people come to us from the education system, Mm -hmm. from both Indio and Mono counties and just, uh, talk about, uh, how, this is so important for the youth of both counties to be able to see um, that there is a huge thriving community, that there are so many people of really high positions in the mm-hmm. counties. Um, and we're hearing that there is a lot of bullying that happens in the schools. So mm-hmm. we've had some teachers that have been amazing and they take our flyers or even some of our new, um, uh, we have stickers with our logos on them, which mm-hmm. features the um, the progressive uh, uh, pride flag. Um, and so just the fact that they're taking them back to put them in their classrooms or the windows to their classrooms to show people that it, to show students that it's a safe space to come and yeah. and be themselves and ask questions if they have questions. It's important, especially in a rural area like this yeah. where there isn't a whole lot of people, um, and not everyone wears them their identity on their sleeve, mm-hmm. right? Um, that. It's not just young people, it's adults too, and people who are new to the area to see that there is representation, that there are other people that you can see yourself in. It's like books. It's like seeing yourself in books. It's such an important experience. Well, and then for the kids to know that they have a place to go to get help if they need it or to talk to an older person who's been through this, down this path that they're trying to make their way down is so important. And it's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you're at, uh, Christopher, you're absolutely right that it is not just the youth. It is a lot of adults that are, really need that sense of community to know that they're not along, alone. There was somebody at the uh, Board of Supervisors meeting. I won't share his name, but he did say that he is so happy to see this organization formed and that the community is coming together because he, living in Lone Pine with his, I can't remember if it was his husband or his partner, they did not feel comfortable to even hold hands in public. Mm. Um, and his partner has since passed away. Oh. And so now to, for him to see this organization thriving and that people are going to be able to move past the situation that they were in, he right. was just, right. it was very emotional, oh. very, very sweet. Um, so that's for us in the organization, it's so rewarding to, to have that feedback um, and to have immediate positive impact. That's so great. Yeah. Um, Thank you for being part of that and oh, moving this forward. It's my pleasure. I've, I've always kind of been involved in advocacy. Um, when I first came out, uh, I, I'm fortunate enough to have a gay uncle mm-hmm. who um, put me in touch with uh, a youth group in Philadelphia that I became very active with. And that's when I started going to pride marches and things like that and finding that I could be proud of myself yeah. right. you know, as a 19-year-old. So yeah. right. Um, so it's been really great. And I did a lot of... Um, uh, volunteering when we were living in New York City down at the Gay and Lesbian Center, um, which was just so much fun. Um, yeah, and to be able to do that out here in the Eastern Sierra, which I would never have guessed in a thousand years was going to be an an, op- an option, yeah, um, is just amazing. And uh, yeah, like I said, all the positive feedback is just great. That's awesome. Yeah, and I also cool. like that uh, this organization is taking some of or attempting to reach out to and and welcome a lot of the smaller happenings around, you know, because you do, there are like small groups that pop up here and there, but it's not something cohesive that people, a lot more people would find out about. So this organization um, is here to kind of help 
connect people and as well yeah. provide resources, right? right. So, exactly. so where can people find out more about Eastern Sierra Pride? Um, before I tell you that, I do want to acknowledge, <laughs> I do want to acknowledge that there was, there is an effort uh, that's, that was led by youth in Inyo uh, County mm-hmm. last year to put on uh, a pride and they are, there was a parade and a gathering and they did Terrific. a great job and we've really kind of, um, I, I just don't want people to think that, that we just came up with this idea. There was right. already a, right. a, a movement from the right. local yeah. youth. Um, but now I will tell you to find out more information. Um, our website is Eastern Sierra pride.org. Uh, we're on social media, Facebook and Instagram. And our handle is at Eastern Sierra pride. Um, you can go to our website and make donations directly there. You can join our email list. Uh, we're always looking for volunteers. We've been doing lots of tabling. And as everybody knows through both Mono and Inyo counties, there's stuff happening every weekend. Yeah. So right. we, um, at some point I'm assuming that we're going to be, uh, on any given weekend, possibly at two different places. So we could be mm-hmm. using lots of volunteers and volunteering at our, our booth, uh, is a lot of fun because we get so much positive feedback. Yeah. Um, and it's just rewarding to just be part of that. Um, again, we were just down at the rambling peaks festival, uh, at mountain rambler brewery oh, and, uh, Bishop, and there was a young woman that was from Big Pine, and she uh, identifies as queer, and she was just saying, I had no idea this existed. You guys are only 15 minutes away from me. And That's she so just neat. saw our sign-up list of people um, uh, who wanted to volunteer and uh, and be on our email list, and she was just blown away that there's this community that she can just jump into. Yeah. So, That's great. Yeah, it's fun. Very cool. So in the middle of all this, I mean, <laughs> you know, I see you put a lot of work into your job and into this, but you do still have spare time, right? <laughs> I do. <laughs> what do you, now that you've lived here for a few years, what do you like to do in your spare time in the Eastern Sierra? Uh, well, I'm a runner, so I like to spend a lot of time running. I just did the 20-mile um, fun run as part of the Bishop High Sierra Ultras. Uh, it definitely was not an ultra. It was the, it was a fun run. <laughs> Twenty miles, fun run. Fun run. I, yeah. that, is that an oxymoron? <laughs> I, I think don't... it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so my favorite part about running, especially down in Bishop, is the cows. And right now, there's lots of calves around. Yes. They're just adorable, and um, I like to run with the cows. And uh, I love to hike, um, kayaking uh, in the winter, snowshoeing. We've gone. Uh, I, I've had one attempt at cross country skiing, and I know I was not doing it correctly. <laughs> uh, so I need a lesson, but I would. I know I would really like that. Just the same as snowshoeing, to be able to hop in a car and go somewhere where there are no other human yeah. beings around and just go do your thing it's, would be amazing. So um, I also do pottery. Um, I'm hoping to get my own wheel and get back into that. Um, That's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's in a nutshell. And I have this uh, little habit of stopping whatever I'm doing when I see a dog to pet the dog. As we all do. As we all do. Yes. That's <laughs> that's mandatory in the Eastern Sierra. <laughs> you can't live here if you don't pet the dogs. But, well, that's, you are busy. I am busy. That's good. Yeah. Busy is happy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And this is such a beautiful place to go out and run and hike and... I'd imagine it's more, let me rephrase. I would imagine it's easier to do that here than it was in New York. Uh, It's very different. Um, In New York, I was always doing road running and it was a matter of uh, when I was training for marathons running through the boroughs of New York, it was more of like 
trying to look ahead at the intersection to see where the green light was right. so you could cross. <laughs> right, yeah. And here it's more just like making sure that you're not about to step in a cow pie or a rattlesnake. Right. Yeah. Or, or a dog isn't running toward, toward you. Yeah, toward, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I did have an experience one time of running um, as two coyotes ran past me and I was like, oh, am I okay out here? <laughs> yeah, you, you get those those moments, yeah, right? Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, geez. I, I once in a... I was running up here in Mammoth and I got buzzed by a golden eagle. Whoa. Okay, right over, like right over my head. Like I could feel the whoosh as it, and it was like, okay, I'm never running here again. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome though. That's what an experience though, right? It's why we live here. Yeah, exactly. Makes it really fun. So <laughs> with everything that you do, Wills, do you have time to read? Absolutely. You do work in a bookstore. I do. With with my daughter sometimes. I do. With Tessa. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's her favorite time to work there is when oh. Wills is working. So I know you guys have a lot of fun together. Yes, absolutely. So what are you reading now? Um, well, I am uh, in the middle of four different books. <laughs> As seems to happen in our household. Um, I am so so you you are a multiple book at a time. We, this is a conversation we have a right. lot. Like, do you read just one book at a time, or do you read multiple? And you obviously can can handle multiple books at a time. Yeah, I think um, I think that you and I, Stacey, are kind of like on the same path that I've evolved into this, and yes. it's been pretty recent. So yeah. uh, before I was just one at a time. Um, and I still, and I never felt like I could give up on a book, which I know you guys have talked yes, about before. Yes. Um, and still, I think in my life, I, there was only one, and I can't remember, I don't want to say what book it was, but I was just like, oh no, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm in the middle of four now, and with a 40, well, with a 80 mile round trip commute to work every day, there's lots of time to listen to audiobooks too. Sure. So I am currently listening to uh, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. And, um, which I think we've talked about. We've, on this. We've, yeah. Yes, we love that book. Yeah. 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 It's really, really good. Um, and I am reading a physical book, uh, A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes. And uh, so tell us. Little, to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about each book. Okay. The Midnight Library is um, a novel that essentially is a woman who is very unhappy with her life and she feels like she has no value. And at one point at midnight, she goes, she crosses over, time kind of stops, she crosses over into um, what is a library. It's called the Midnight Library, which is uh, shelved with books of uh, all the possible different uh, realities that her life could have taken um, if she had made different choices. Right. And so time stops and she gets to um, kind of pick different books to see, well, if I had followed fame, what would have happened? Um, it's a, a lot of diving into what does happiness mean in different mm -hmm. scenarios. Um, does it wealth? Is it fame? Um, is it love? And uh, she just explores all these different things. Um, she, I won't say more than that, but it's really, really interesting. Um, came out to excellent reviews. It was nominated yes. for awards. And that's something that Matt Haig, who's the author, um, writes and talks about is happiness and well-being. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, he writes uh, self-help books. And so yeah. there's a lot, of, a lot of that underlying through all this, the stories is, um, you know, that, and especially that you have the um, opportunity at all times to change your life to make it be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, that was, the, I think, the thing that resonated the most with me about this book. Yeah. I, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very good. Um, 
And then I'm listening, I'm oh, sorry, I'm also reading A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes, and that is a take on the um, Greek myths, and she, rather than um, telling the story from the men's perspective, from uh, the Iliad and Odyssey, she focuses, focuses on the women's perspectives, and um, it's just very much like... Um, uh, Song of Achilles and Circe, mm-hmm. who I forget her first name, Miller. Uh, Madeline Miller. Madeline yeah. Miller. Um, she kind of does the same thing by focusing in on one character and telling mm-hmm. the stories that we already know from that perspective. Um, but this is, it's really, really great. And I know she has another book out right now that's called Pandora's Jar that I want to read that's also kind of diving into how the, in the Iliad and Odyssey, the men are always the heroes and it's the women that cause all the havoc um, <laughs> and kind of exploring that. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. And a thousand, just for listeners, a thousand ships is that saying with Helen of Troy, the face, she was mm-hmm. so beautiful, the face could launch a thousand, a thousand ships, ships starting a war. Yeah. So that's where that title comes from. I, the third book that I am in the middle of is Braiding Sweetgrass, which is hugely popular. It's by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, she herself is an indigenous woman and Mm -hmm. she's also a botanist and she, um, does an amazing job of just talking about the natural world and explaining the indigenous perspective and then the European scientific perspective and kind of comparing and contrasting them. It's for me, it's incredibly educational and it's very, um, thought provoking and, uh, the reason that that is still part of my four books, um, I've been reading it for so long, mm-hmm. is because I, it is so thought-provoking that when I finish a chapter, I don't want to just move on to another one. I want to really live with it for a mm-hmm. while. Right. Um, and uh, um, like there's one, I think my favorite so far has been she's, she's explaining the Pledge of Allegiance and how pledging to a nation to her is just so foreign and pledging to a flag is so foreign. Yeah. Whereas indigenous... Um, folks will start off like even business meetings with just uh, saying thanks, like Mm -hmm. thank you to Mother Earth, thank you to the the plants, thank you to the animals. And it goes, it can be very long. And especially when they do that at the beginning of meetings that the people of European descent start to get really uncomfortable because it takes (laughs) so long. Um, But uh, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot to learn, a lot to live with, but it's really, really great. And then the final one couldn't be more different, (laughs) but it is the complete fiction of HP Warcraft. Um, Lovecraft. Oh, sorry, Lovecraft. Yes, Warcraft, Warcraft is, is different. It's yeah. a very different book. Yeah. <laughs> Lovecraft, <laughs> um, and I'm reading that just because he is such a uh, inspiration to so many creative people, um, and I just had never really um, read. I love sci-fi and fantasy, and uh, I have never read any of his. So I saw this down at Spellbinders, and uh, just thought, well, there you go with the full collection. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Lots of fun. A little dated, but lots of fun. And I know he's kind of a controversial person currently, but... You know, dated can be good. I'm going to talk about a dated book. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. I just did talk about a dated (laughs) book, actually. We're recording this in reverse. (laughs) We are. um, Cool. Yeah, you, you do read a lot and you read more now than when we first met 20 years ago. So, um, yeah, it's always, you're, you probably read more than I do nowadays and I read a lot. You do. I can't keep up with you guys. I try. Well, Wills, thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your very busy schedule in life to spend some time with us. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It's really nice to hear this podcast uh, in real time, to have (laughs) both of your voices in my ears. So, (laughs) Well, and I should say that when Christopher came to work here, I got a a friend in the... 
in the it was a bonus. So <laughs> thank I'm you. So glad that you're here. <laughs> thank you. And there is no such thing as too much Stace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk to Joe about that. Uh, right. He might differ. <laughs> but thank you. That's so sweet. And thank you, listeners, so much for joining us for this episode of the Oxygen Star podcast. Please remember that you can find us on our Instagram page at O2Starved, our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, and all those other places where you find podcast people. Not TikTok, though. Not TikTok, not, t- not yet. Not yet. But we really appreciate you very much. And if you have anything to share with us about books you're reading now or the agencies and organizations that you're involved with, we'd love to hear about it. So please let us know what you're doing. And in the meantime, have a great week. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.